Hey friends, thanks for joining me today. If you don't know me, my name's Ruth Farrell and I am the lead pastor at St. Peter United Church of Christ in Lake Zurich, Illinois, amongst other hats I wear. Every year around this time, I start my annual hunt to see if I can find Christmas cards or wrapping paper or decorations with the four traditional Advent themes on them. I know, that probably makes me a church geek, but I'm good with it. Most years, I can easily find peace, joy, and love, sometimes all three together. But hope, the traditional theme of the first week of Advent, rarely makes the cut. This year, however, hope has been easier to find. I started to notice the trend when I was selecting my Christmas cards and had not just one hope-themed option, but a half dozen. It's easy to understand why hope is a popular holiday theme this year. 2020 has been a bear, and we all desperately hope 2021 will be better. It's always surprising to me, though, that hope isn't a more prominent theme most years. We all need hope on a regular basis. We all face challenges, struggles, pain throughout our lives, and we need hope to get through those times. I suppose there are a few beloved Christmas songs that contain a hope-filled idea, Stevie Wonder's Someday at Christmas, or We Wish You a Merry Christmas. But these songs feel more sentimental or wistful than genuinely hopeful to me. Perhaps we don't often season our holidays with hope because hope is hard. It's especially hard to keep hoping when our hopes are dashed time after time, year after year, perhaps even decade after decade. It's especially hard to keep hoping when we've prayed asked God for an explanation, begged God for mercy, and it feels like it hasn't come. Listening and looking for hope in strange places, digging deep to choose hope even when we are at our limits, remembering the stories of the ways God has fulfilled hope in the past, these things help us to hold on to hope even when hope feels hopeless. Hear these words from Isaiah chapter 40 verses 1 through 11. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak compassionately to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her compulsory service has ended, that her penalty has been paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice is crying out, clear the Lord's way in the desert. Make a level highway in the wilderness for our God. Every valley will be raised up and every mountain and hill will be flattened. Uneven ground will become level and a rough terrain a valley plain. The Lord's glory will appear and all humanity will see it together. The Lord's mouth has commanded it. A voice was saying, call out. And another said, what should I call out? All flesh is grass. All its loyalty is like the flowers of the field. The grass dries up and the flower withers when the Lord's breath blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass dries up, the flowers withers. But our God's word will exist forever. Go, get up on a high mountain, messenger Zion. Raise your voice and shout, messenger Jerusalem. Raise it, don't be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Here is the Lord God coming with strength, with a triumphant arm, bringing his reward with him and his payment before him. 
Like a shepherd, God will tend the flock. He will gather lambs in his arms and lift them onto his lap. He will gently guide the nursing ewes. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, open our hearts and our minds and even our bodies to hear you speaking to us now. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your eyes, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The spiritual Go Tell It on the Mountain brought hope to and saved a university. In 1871, Fisk University, an historically black college in Nashville, was going through extremely difficult financial times. A 10-member singing group was founded to tour the country in order to raise funds for the debt-ridden school. They took the entire contents of the university treasury with them to fund their travel expenses. If they didn't succeed, the school would likely close. The Fist Jubilee Singers' 18-month-long tour didn't originally include any spirituals. Students were reluctant to sing them in public because they were associated with a dark past. Some also hesitated to sing them because they were part of their parents' worship and were therefore sacred. Eventually, though, they were coerced into singing them, and they quickly became the bulk of their repertoire due to their popularity. Go Tell It was one of the spirituals they included in their concerts, and it became particularly beloved across the country and even in Europe. It, along with other spirituals, made the tour a rousing success and saved the university. The leaders of Fisk looked for hope in strange places, a concert tour. I've been on them, and I promise you, they aren't normally particularly hopeful places. They dug deep to chose hope even when they were at their limits. The school was literally about to run out of money. They found hope in the stories of the ways God had fulfilled his promises in the past, such as the way God brought their ancestors out of slavery. In taking these hope-filled steps, they brought hope to their community and so many others throughout the world. In today's scripture passage, the Israelites had been suffering. Unlike the African-American slaves who did nothing to cause their oppression, the Israelites had made some terrible choices which brought on their pain. Through the prophets, God repeatedly warned them that they were not acting justly, loving mercy, or walking humbly with him. Yet, for the most part, they ignored God's loving calls to return to righteous living. Their poor choices, just like most poor choices, came with consequences. The most devastating consequence came when they were conquered by the Babylonians. Their beloved capital city, Jerusalem, was destroyed, and the majority of them were forced to live in exile far from home. Life in captivity was difficult. Ancient Israelite poets often wrote things like, We'll be home for Christmas, if only in our dreams. Okay, not the Christmas part, but they did desperately want to go home for their consequences to end, for God to be merciful to them. In captivity, the Israelites suffered so much and for so long that they began to wonder if God still loved them. They had heard prophecies that one day God would lead them back home. They knew of God's promises to love and care for them. They remembered the teachings of scripture that God was mighty to save. Yet here they were, generation after generation, genuinely miserable in Babylon. Where was God in the midst of their pain? 
why should they keep hoping? The consequences of the Israelites' terrible choices were hard on God, too. In Isaiah 42, God describes how much he's gone through during this time when the Israelites were in captivity. It's been excruciating, but God has forced himself to keep still and silent, restrain himself during this time. Just as it's hard for any parent not to rush in and take away the pain when their child is experiencing the consequences of their actions, it's hard for God too. Finally, though, to the Israelite suffering, to God's own suffering, God said, enough. Actually, he said, comfort, comfort. God speaks and acts like a compassionate mother soothing her child. Hush, hush, my little ones. It's all over. Mama's here. To prove it, God announced, a massive infrastructure initiative. Clear the way in the desert. Make a level highway in the wilderness for our God. Every valley will be raised up and every mountain and hill will be flattened. Uneven ground will become level and a rough terrain, a valley plain. The Lord's glory will appear and all humanity will see it together. A massive construction project is a funny place to find hope. Normally, all construction projects do is bring about traffic nightmares and bureaucracy. Admittedly, we should hold the visions of diggers and dump trucks from dancing in our heads. Isaiah 40 is a poem, so these are metaphors. They're there to help us, those hearing this passage, vividly see roadblocks, anything that can cause tripping and stumbling, being leveled so that God's people can once again access God, be in God's presence, and not have to question if God was with them and for them. When God excitedly asked Isaiah to share the hopeful news, Isaiah refused to see how anything good could come out of road work. Through some floral, literally, poetic language, all flesh is grass, all its loyalty is like the flowers of the field, Isaiah more or less declined to share the supposed good news that help was on the way. In fact, he's pretty whiny because he's exhausted and deflated. It was too late for Isaiah to be excited by God's news. But suddenly, something seems to click, and Isaiah's tone completely changes. But our God's word will exist forever. It's almost as if he paused, took a deep breath, dug deep for his faith, and decided to hope, even though his hope had been dashed so many times. It's as if he chooses to say, even though life has felt meaningless for so long, even though it feels like our love for God has been ignored by God, even though it feels like God has forgotten us, I will choose to look beyond these circumstances and trust that since God has always fulfilled his promises in the past, he will do so again in the future. Once Isaiah made the decision to grasp onto hope, his whole demeanor changed. Get up on a high mountain. Raise your voice and shout, here is your God. He is coming with strength to save you. But, and this is all meant to shock us, Not only will God come like a conquering hero, but he will also come like a loving shepherd. 
God will tend the flock. He will gather lambs in his arms and lift them onto his lap. He will gently guide the nursing ewes. Again, we hear God saying, Comfort, comfort. Hush, hush, my little ones. It's all over. Mama's here. Just as God brought the Israelites out of their captivity with strength and tenderness, Jesus also came to free us from our pain with strength and tenderness. Jesus' strength enabled him to stand up to those who wanted to put others down, to fight the establishment, to wander around the desert for three years teaching, to conquer sin and death. Jesus' tenderness enabled him to come as a baby, to heal people, to be a wonderful friend, to die for us. Scripture promises us that the strength and tenderness of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, free us from our suffering and pain. Because of this promise, we can have hope, hope that can never be extinguished, even when we have to wait and wait and wait for our change to come. Yes, some days hope will be an imperceivable flicker in us. We will feel like all hope is gone. In those moments, we will have to look for hope in strange places like road work and concert tours. We will have to dig deep, perhaps even faking hope until we can make it. We will need to remember the stories of the ways God has fulfilled hope in the past. When we do so, God's strength and tenderness empower us, as it did Isaiah and the Fisk University community, to hope. As hope builds within us, we are invited by God to follow Isaiah and the Fisk Jubilee Singers in sharing our hope. Down in a lonely manger, the humble Christ was born, and God sent us salvation, hope, that blessed Christmas morn. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere, go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born.